Hi, this is Gillian Riley and Jen Warren. Courageous Conversations is a series exploring the art of showing up authentically in our everyday spaces. Welcome to part two of our first episode on Courageous Conversations with Gillian Riley and Jen Warren. Today we're continuing our conversation about shame and missed opportunities and taking a little bit further into the idea of showing up and what that means both in one's personal and professional spaces. I've been very open to people that I didn't start Troublemakers because I am one or because I know how to do it and I've written the book. I started it because I wish I'd made trouble when it mattered the most. I wish that I had known how to constructively engage people in courageous conversations around the issues that mattered to us most. For me, also a part of being brave in a professional sense means acknowledging who you are bravely internally in private spaces. And how do you converge those two things? And and what has it taken for you over the years to be real to yourself in order to show up for other people? Because if you're denying parts of yourself, then you'll never really be at the table in, in any other setting. And, and that's obviously a very tough one, especially with where we are in the world and how we come to terms with not only ourselves, but with what we see around us. And mm-hmm. how do those two things come together in order to inform then being more courageous in those public settings, the private and the mm-hmm. public? You know, I think that the first courageous conversation we all need to have is with ourselves. <laughs> and, and in many cases, it's the hardest one. The first one, the ongoing one, I mean, yes, as you've said, it, it starts with a heightened degree of self-awareness and a commitment to maintaining that awareness. And almost what I've tried to do over the years is I imagine myself hovering in the corner of the room watching something unfold. Uh, when I'm talking to somebody and I've become more and more aware of my patterns because I do think we all have them patterns in our conversations in how we communicate and how we react we sort of become aware of what our red flags are when we run when we change the subject and I think that there's value in just switching on that awareness and watching yourself without judgment but just getting to know yourself as your first and possibly most powerful professional tool. Because when you know that, you can then manage it and strategically deploy it. So that self-awareness for me is, is your currency because that's what leads to the ability to show up authentically. And it also, I think, helps with the empathy piece as well because you start to understand why you react to people the way you do, you know, why things upset you or why you believe what you do. And I actually think that the authenticity and empathy work so nicely in tandem with each other because it's kind of what we spoke about earlier. In acknowledging who you are, for me, it frees me to sort of say, and who are you? And be curious about that and accepting of that, knowing it has no impact on me whatsoever. It doesn't take from me. It doesn't threaten me. And so I, I really do believe, as you said, that level of awareness is so key in making this journey. I had the sort of benefit of writing this book, <laughs> which was like from start to finish about 10 years worth of therapy, reading myself and looking at myself on the page and, and learning a lot about myself. But I do think, uh, and I have experienced in my retreats, the power of storytelling. 
I think they give us little nuggets of wisdom about ourselves and we can look at ourselves and get to know ourselves again. We do a lot of work around writing our history through stories and you know that can be as formal or as informal as as need be but sometimes if we just start to become aware of of stories and incidents throughout our lives and we then can look at them and understand what our journey has been that got us to this place right now so i understand why in this case my technical competence was so important to me because i from a young age i was always the a student that's what i hung my hat on that was what i was and you know examples like that that help us understand the trajectory of our choices so yeah i think that that awareness and the cultivating it and really actively cultivating it in whatever way is works for you whether that's writing journaling taking time during the day to sit and reflect on who you've been that day with that you start to engage with people so i found myself having these incredibly open and intimate conversations with people having spoken about my book because i said it was okay to we give each other permission as human beings we're somewhat hardwired to sort of recognize each other's humanity <laughs> and be respectful that we might not be able to do anything with it in that instance. It's not always catalytic. Sometimes you've got to show up again and again and again, but I've never had anybody just shut me down and say, don't you dare be that in front of me. So I think you have to understand that we are creating this together. Give yourself permission and then hopefully the person that you're with will also receive that permission and start to explore a little bit with you. I want to hang on the idea of showing up for a minute. And if you could describe that to someone who maybe doesn't know what it takes to show up. It is sort of an abstract idea in some ways, but I think there are very tangible steps to showing up that people can start to embrace in themselves and kind of what showing up means for people listening, what they could grab on to? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think that for me, the more you show up, the more you practice showing up, the more showing up becomes just who you are. So in the past, I would spend time thinking about or not thinking. It had just become sort of ingrained to me to kind of be what I thought somebody thought I should be or trying to anticipate what I thought their needs were. It's an exhausting process because, of course, you don't know, but you shapeshift, if you will, and I use that word a lot, to become what you think is the most desirable and palatable offering to them. For a lot of people, and I think especially for a lot of young women, that's an ongoing dialogue that they have in their head. How do I be what he or she or they want me to be, to the point that you don't even know that it's happening? I have come to a point where I am much more aware of who I'm talking to on the one hand of understanding and taking a moment before I go into the conversation to be aware of what the dynamics are just so that I know where I think the limitations might be for me so it's back to that awareness and then when I see myself editing myself I tell myself to stop and then I try to say what it is that I'm really thinking I was actually getting myself into more trouble by not being honest rather than telling them what I thought 
they wanted to hear. I explained to them my motivations, my concerns. It's almost like providing people the backstory instead of just offering up what you think the script should be. Two words come to mind. One is to avoid assumptions mm -hmm. and what role not making assumptions plays in showing up. And then two is to not be apologetic for who you are, mm -hmm. even internally, right? You may not be saying, oh, sorry, this is what I'm doing, but even having that internal conversation can make someone not show up or not right. be fully real. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you sort of check your assumptions. As you say, you don't apologize for yourself or what you're feeling. I think that curiosity is absolutely critical because curiosity, again, is the antidote to assumptions. It's saying, I don't know. I'm asking genuinely, being willing to accept the answer and where it takes me. And I have found that my ability and my willingness to curiously question others and in an attempt to get to a place where I understand where they're coming from, why they're doing what they're doing, because everybody has a reason for whatever they're doing and trying to sort of get to that, I think is very helpful. And then I think, as you've said, with the assumptions, when you're receiving the answers, the judgments that come along with that. We all have them and we're not going to discard them, nor should we. They are, again, a part of our own self. But I think becoming, again, aware of when you're hearing somebody, what your snap judgments and reactions are to those. Again, it's not to suggest that you become this empty vessel that's just giving and receiving of stuff, but knowing it and then saying, oh, okay, it's almost like developing this 360 degree perspective, if you will, on yourself and the people you're with, which is, again, I think, rooted in this level of heightened and very active awareness. My description would be like I had hundreds of little receptors on they're active and there's an activity in being with somebody that I think becomes much more natural over time in this process of showing up. I think it starts to feel more natural because you find the conversations going to much more interesting places, so it feeds itself. Whereas I think the opposite is also true. The more that you switch on and just put on your hat and put on your role, it's like, okay, 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 we're done. You know, we all know what those robotic conversations are like, and they're efficient, and sometimes they're necessary. You know, I'm not suggesting that every single encounter is one that is this heightened awareness conversation, but I think we can look at ourselves and say, in balance, how am I engaging with people? So we're talking about how to make these conversations constructive, and then you touch a little bit on judgment. And so what happens when someone part of them showing up and being real is hard. It's negative, it's judgmental, it's painful, it's filled with fear, and that's a part of them being more self-aware. And how does one use it strategically, as you mentioned earlier, while still being compassionate, constructive, and looking towards the next step, not getting stuck in you know, well, I'm being real, and so this is what it's about, because that falls back into the power and control, and it's almost sort of juggling of pieces of ourselves. It's taking off the mask, but yet at the same time, as you've said, being empathetic 
and understanding the other person also. You're meaning to do well, but you've got hard stuff to say or share or... Mm. Well, and I think that's the point is the next step. So we all in our relationships have broader goals, needs. They are in service of something, right? That's why people are in our lives because together we need something. There's a transactional nature to it. That's why we engage with people. And so I think, again, as part of that reflection and awareness, understanding the role that this relationship plays within your life. And what do you want out of it? How important is it to you? How many risks are you prepared to take in it in order to get it to a place where it is providing you what you need from it and hopefully the same for the other person? Or in order for it to get to a place where you two are functioning really, really well together? These concepts don't work in the abstract. They work in context of real people wanting to build something together. I think that in some ways, becoming really clear about what you want is the starting point for these kinds of interactions because it clarifies the end goal. <laughs> but I do think there is that. And in some cases, what I need to do is say something to you, the whole get it off of my chest thing. That's very important for people to do. And it's important for people to do in an unedited way. They are harboring or storing up a degree of negativity or emotion that just needs to be let out. And it does take courage to do that. And I think you need to be aware of the impact that's going to have on somebody else because it's hard to receive that no matter how evolved you are, particularly if you're invested in the situation. You know, if you've somehow been a part of it, it's really, really hard to hear. The willingness to feel uncomfortable in with somebody else is something that I'm working on every single day because that's really hard for me to feel uncomfortable with somebody. But letting it be there, letting that discomfort just sit and not feeling the need to resolve it immediately or push beyond it to something productive, accepting the fact that discomfort is normal Again, I think respect is critical. If whatever created the discomfort was shared from a place of genuine intent and positive intent, then we as humans need to learn more about just being uncomfortable with each other and knowing that we can come back again on another time, on another day, and revisit that. So I think the broader purpose of the relationship is critical in understanding what it's going to take to get you from where you are now to where it is you want to go and being smart about that understanding your intentions in that particular conversation. Are you just angry and feel like lashing out? Or are you angry and feel like you need to get that out in order to get somewhere better? I think making a commitment to yourself to be respectful of both yourself and the other person, because once you breach that, it's really hard to go back and rebuild. You're then in very different territory where people are largely in self-protection mode. And then I think the opportunity for getting somewhere new is limited. Committing yourself to a series of conversations, knowing in your head and in your heart that maybe little and often is better. It's like letting the air out of something and kind of feeling it release. That doesn't need to happen in one go. And it probably in some way shouldn't. In my experience, it does start to feel better with each time. It, you find yourself not pausing. It's not that kind of, 
at times now, as I've tried to do it more, and for me, the areas where I need to work hardest are the ones that are most personal to me. It's like I see the words coming out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, okay, I just said that. And it's okay, because the other person is also, they're more used to hearing it now. They're not as kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? Everybody gets more used to it because they're familiar with it. You know, the other person now knows more about me. And it's like you're clearing ground together. And in that space, you feel safer to just move together through something. I like that idea of clearing ground, both together and also maybe internally. And when you speak about the importance of embracing discomfort, it leads me back to the idea of fear and how fear drives a lot of us to not have those courageous conversations. And there are many reasons for fear, but as you've said, the little bursts and the dissolving, you know, if we think of fear as being one of the driver for so many different emotions or blockages, I like that visual of dissolving as, as you go along and, and doing it in these little bursts. And I wonder if it might be helpful to talk a little bit more about sitting in discomfort. What if fear is still blocking someone from doing those things or they're doing them, but they don't feel fully real yet? And how does one embrace fear? In my role as a mother, I found myself recently having these kinds of conversations because my eight-year-old went on an overnight camp for the first time. And I knew that he was afraid, understandably so. And it really provided this wonderful opportunity to talk about fear. A month before the camp, when they started planning for it at school, he came home and I could see that he was released far away and preoccupied. And we talked about what he was afraid of. And what he was afraid of is a thing that we're all afraid of, which is the unknown. You know, he'd never done it before. And so he wasn't sure how he was going to feel sleeping in a dorm overnight. The anticipation of the unknown and the places that we go to in our heads and in our hearts of what that might demand of us. Would we be able in that moment to take that? Could we absorb it? Could we deal with it? And I found myself, as everyone does, having the desire to resolve it on the one hand, because we want to fix things and move on and make things better. And then knowing, of course, that that was utterly impossible and not actually desirable in this state. And I found myself saying to him, you're going to be afraid. I cannot take that fear from you. There is nothing that I can do or say that will make the unknown known to you. You have to just live it. And I'll tell you what, you're going to feel really freaked out. And trying to somehow normalize it, again, make him aware of it so that when it happened, it didn't seize him, but it was a visitor <laughs> that he was familiar with. All oh, right, there you are. I knew you were coming. I knew I would feel this. And then to say, and I expect that it's going to be doing a dance with excitement and anticipation and a sense of freedom. You know, our instinct is to fixate on the fear because it dominates and then we lose sight of the fact that it's actually this mosaic of emotions of which fear is one. So can we become aware of the fact that there's all sorts of interplay here and it'll come and it'll go and just know that it's going to go and something else is going to take its place and then it's going to come back again. 
but I think to recognize that it doesn't define us, that it is an emotion along with many others that each one of us feels. And again, to sort of watch it and look at it and understand its place amongst many other feelings and to give it its place and then to give the other feelings their place as well and service those emotions with the same attention that we do the fear. And the more that we don't treat fear as the definition of us, we start to let the other stuff in more and say, what do I do with the curiosity? Or what do I do with the excitement? Or what do I do with the nerves? Which don't need to be fearful nerves, but just anticipation nerves. So I think it's putting it in its rightful place as a valid and very normal human reaction. I ask because I think that it is probably a very common part of the process of showing up. And when you said that you can't make the unknown known for someone, I think that really resonates. Also in the sense that when we are in the process of showing up in a situation to ourselves, to our partner, in the workplace, to a client, we can't do that for ourselves either. As you've said, we have to jump in with all of those things of curiosity, anticipation, nerves, and that's a part of showing up. I think all of the stories that you've shared serve to answer this question, but why? You know, for someone, let's say, who is fearful or who the idea of showing up is very foreign, I've been operating in the world, never having really done this. I've got this mask, this mask, this mask, Mm -hmm. and I've got the mask that covers myself from myself as well. Mm -hmm. So why? What good does it serve? And coming back around to shame, how does it serve our work in the context of the development industry or in the idea of serving humanity? Yeah, I mean, I've had a number of people say to me, oh, so this is therapy for like development workers. Is that what you're doing? And I actually believe it's precisely the opposite. I think it's in many ways the foundational aspect of unlocking possibility for change. I think that we all have roles and we all have scripts and the older that we get and the more entrenched we get in our sets of relationships that make up our lives the more they can become really constricting and they limit the possibility for anything other than the status quo so i am who i am and i'm always going to be that you and i have this relationship it's never going to change so the status quo becomes entrenched by the very scripts and roles that we perpetuate on a daily basis as social change agents our raison d'etre is challenging the status quo that's why we're here because we believe that something about the current reality needs to shift that's fundamental to what we do there is something that needs to shift how do we do that How do we bring about that shift? What I'm suggesting is that that shift takes place every day through our willingness to, to use the word, show up and begin to create new possibilities for different kinds of interactions within our conversations and then by extension, those are the people that we work with. It's taking the granular and suggesting that each one of those grains starts to constitute change an intimate activism that when I locate the power to change within myself first and foremost because it is and then I locate it further within how I engage with you in using this conversation as an opportunity to explore the possibility for something different 
I create change. I start to disrupt whatever it is the status quo has been between us. I think as development workers, as change agents, whatever you want to call it, we have been sort of lulled into the idea that change happened through the development of a technical offering that was completely separate from us. My behavior, my choices, my own life was separate from that. And I think that's where we've got it very wrong. I was it. I was offering myself up to changing the world. And as a, at a young age, I believed that just by virtue of who I was and my own willingness to get stuck in with the mess that is the world, I would start to challenge it. And with every passing year, I started to learn a script for what I thought a development industry person would say and how she would behave. And I started to disappear. And so what I'm trying to do with this is to marry a lot of the important and valuable work that we do with what I see as this incredibly untapped resource of humanity <laughs> and engagement. We are all we have to offer up to bring about change. This is it. I have nothing other than me. And when I separate myself from the change that I think to bring about, then I've lost something. And that's what this work is trying to do. It's saying, you are it. You are what you have to bring about change. So how do you start to do that? And how do you start to do that through the more bold belief that every single one of my engagements is an opportunity to disrupt the status quo, if I want it to? We need to be smart about how we disrupt it. We need to be clear about what the something better looks like. My discomfort with the concept of disruption is the notion is just unsettlement, which is important, but it needs to be in the service of something better. So I think really fully understanding how I think I can create something better and how my own behavior, my relationships, my engagement in conversation with colleagues and with the broader community starts to create the very thing that I say that I'm here to do. And for me, it's to use a word I don't like very much, incredibly empowering, because it's about me. I've spent way too much time in my life trying to change other people. Those are things that are largely out of my control. And therefore, the, the frustration that many of us feel with what we see as the unfulfilled promise of social change. And what I'm playing with and what I'm exploring is that what happens if we locate that power for change fully within ourselves and own it and take responsibility for it and then see what happens when we do that. That's the journey. And remember why we started in the first place, get back to that origin. That, that word keeps coming to me as you're speaking with each passing year, you know, what a great visual that you step further and further away from that passion or that ideal. While at the same time throughout the years and through troublemakers, also realizing where that younger self was naive, making assumptions, not yet knowing your full self yet at that mm -hmm. age, but still tapping into that seed and passion, keeping that with you as you go along to keep it real. I mean, that's the Gillian Riley offering that's different from yours and somebody else's. And the notion that that passion and that sense of purpose and the principles somehow don't have a legitimate place at the social change table anymore is very troubling to me. That's for somebody else. That's for some other form of activist work. And I think in some ways, 
our work has suffered and, and this industry has suffered given the world as it is today, it's calling upon us to tap into that more. Understanding that that gets very complicated because there's no uniformity around that. It's messier, but it's the space that I think that we need to allow in a little bit more into these conversations as we try and figure out how to translate the enormous resource and power at our disposal to a commensurate level of change. I certainly feel, and I know others might agree, that at the moment, I don't think that the the sum total of our global impact is commensurate with what we've had available to us. And I think it is incumbent upon us to ask why. Why have we not transformed the world to the extent that many of us thought we would 20, 30 years ago? And my belief is that partially that answer lies in just this kind of winnowing of self, of the whole enterprise becoming spared of the very sense of principles and passion and purpose that led most of us into it. I want to try to nudge it towards greater impact by suggesting that that's my responsibility to do, and yours, and yours, and yours. We start to do our work differently by speaking honestly and bravely with each other about what hasn't worked, uh, how we felt about it, and we allow ourselves to go to places together that we haven't been before because we let go of the script and we give space in the role for other parts of ourselves. And I believe that in that we'll start to create some juicy new realities with each other that can then feed up into more interesting projects, more interesting, more purposeful organizations, etc., etc. Like anything, I think it's just a practice. It's not a destination. It's not a arrival at some sort of aha moment that then opens up the gates to a new living. It, it's just a sort of rigorous practice of knowledge of self and knowledge of others and what we can create together that literally needs to embed itself in our day-to-day -day interactions then allowing ourselves to believe that in doing that, it's going to get us someplace that we haven't been before.